1: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Alexa Gagas, in for Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. For 10 years, Chef James Mark has been offering delicious and innovative food in Providence. He's the force behind North Restaurant, as well as Big King, a spot in the West End named after his grandmother. But after weathering the pandemic as well as countless late nights. Chef James is calling it quits, at least for now. We'll talk to him about his decade in Rhode Island's restaurant industry, why he's taking a break, and what comes next after this quick break.
0: When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly.
1: Welcome back. I'm here with Chef James Mark, the founder of restaurants North and Big King. James, thanks for joining me today.
2: Of course. Glad to be here.
1: So for the few people who haven't been to North or Big King, how would you describe both places?
2: I would describe them both as kind of uh, non-traditional American restaurants, uh, food that's like focused around ingredients that are grown in Rhode Island and really trying to lean heavy into the seasons up here. In ways that are unexpected.
1: And what was your vision when you started North about 10 years ago now?
2: I opened North as a restaurant that really catered towards the service industry. That's what its initial vision was. It was open seven days a week in a time when there was very few seven-day-a-week restaurants in Providence. It was open to midnight every single night with a full dinner menu. And that was during a time where basically the only option you had after, you know, 10 10 o'clock was New York system. So we were trying to build a place that catered to folks that cooked in the industry and uh, worked in front of the house in the industry and would get out of work uh, and didn't really have a place to eat. And that's where we started our focus on and kind of built it out from there.
1: Mm-hmm. It changed a lot over the years.
2: Yeah, it, it did. It did. It became very popular. Um, we were originally located in Three Longo Square, a block off of Westminster Street. It really tucked away in a, a kind of little neighborhood, but if you worked in the industry, you like knew that neighborhood well. The old Decatur Bar was there, which became the Avery. E and O, which is no longer there, was around that corner. So, both a bunch of places that really catered to folks that were definitely like working class and trying to scrape by a little bit, but also some younger folks and artists and uh, things like that. You know, maybe didn't have a ton of money to spend, but uh, wanted to still drink well and. Eventually, once they open north, hopefully, eat well
1: as well. <laughs> and then, Big King was a little something different. Talk about that.
2: Yeah, so five years ago, we moved north. Um, it became super popular really fast. Got on a bunch of like national lists and things like that, and just built a lot of following through word of mouth. You know, we we're going on three-hour waits on a Wednesday, and we realized that we needed to move into a bigger space. And so we moved it into uh, the Dean Hotel downtown. About a year after we moved, or eh, nine months after we moved, we opened Big King in the original space. We reduced the seating capacity. We brought down to 21 seats or so during COVID. We're takeout only for a long time, but then when we reopened, only had 17 seats when we closed. With the idea of doing something that was a little bit quieter and a little bit more relaxed, something that was a little more focused and allowed us to, and allowed me to express myself in kind of a different way.
1: And didn't you name Big King after your grandmother?
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, my grandmother's name is Big King. She immigrated from China in the 40s, I believe. My my, my grandfather came over in the pre-war. When she went to the immigration officer, she told the officer her, her name in Chinese and Guy asked, "Well, what does that mean in English?" And she said, "It means big king." And he, so he wrote "big king" for her name.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I love that.
2: Yeah, it's a uh, we don't cook Chinese. Well, it's a it's a weird thing um, trying to tag or label specific kinds of food, specific kinds of cuisine, especially in modern context, especially in America, where things get mixed up really easily. So it's not a Chinese restaurant, mm-hmm. but. Is there influence from that style of eating that I grew up with? Certainly. And is there, like, influence by, like, how we think about dishes and how we balance flavors and how we balance food and even down to, like, how you can eat them? Yes, 100%. Uh, Certainly influenced by her food.
1: Did your grandmother ever get to dine at one of your restaurants?
2: Mm, No, she didn't. She died a few years ago. She was like 104, 107, or wow. something like that. We don't actually know how old she was. So when I opened my restaurants, you know, she she was very old already and not traveling.
1: And just to bring it back to where you started, you studied at Johnson Wales University, and then you pursued your food dreams elsewhere in Wales, Asia, and even the Momofuku Empire. So what brought you back to Rhode Island?
2: So I was working for David Chang, who is the chef-owner of Momofuku, this was very early Momfuku, Momofuku, year three and four, I think it was. And so it was just the two restaurants at the time, and I eventually helped open their first bakery called Milk Bar, I was uh, the first bread baker there. I was working overnight shifts and kind of by myself, and just a like really intense lifestyle. And I got really burnt out on it, and I came back up here, and I wasn't going to cook, um, but I was visiting some friends who were still living up here. And uh, like sleeping on their couch and kind of like fell in love with the city in a way that I didn't when I was a student here. We like went canoeing on the Wood River and like, it was like, oh, this place is amazing. And then, you know, coming from New York and in New York, I was going to farmer's markets all the time and all the produce is local per se, but it's coming from, you know, Hour and a half upstate. You drive fifteen minutes from Providence, and you're on a like a large scale farm that can support like a commercial restaurant, and like that's insane. I went down to the docks for the first time with my friends, and it was like, oh yeah, like you can meet the fishermen, or like at least meet the purveyors who were buying directly off the boat instead of having to go buy through the auction in Boston or New York. And suddenly, it's like, oh wow, like this is like access to ingredients that like I didn't have in New York or dreamed of having in New York. And suddenly it was like, okay, this is like a really cool place to cook. And you could start something here. You know, eventually we were able to like find a space where Big King is now. I, I had $35,000 total. Um, I, I, I spent $30,000 on key money and I, I bought one piece of equipment. I went down to the docks and bought like a crate of lobsters and the first menu had three menu items on it. I had a lobster roll. We did like country ham that I had in my house that I just like sliced on the bar. We shucked oysters and we sold all the leftover booze. We did that for two weeks to make enough money to like afford our first actual wine order. The fact that the rent was as affordable as it was was super helpful. Like I, even now, 10 years later up here, I pay 1 20th of the rent of what I would pay on the same space in like the East Village. Mm-hmm. and like that's insane.
1: <laughs> so you're saying that Rhode Island kind of has this has this opportunity for restaurant owners to thrive. To yeah. A I mean extent. it's it's
2: it's definitely getting harder like mm-hmm. everything's a lot more expensive than it used to be. But you look at like Boston, you look at New York, both those cities which you know have the advantage of population essentially, like you can be busier all the time there. A lot of the restaurateurs like are more risk averse up there, and a lot of young guys just can't afford to, or young people can't afford to open something up there because you know you're looking at you know minimum spend in six figures to like open something up unless you get really lucky. Down in Rhode Island, it's like you're not looking at uh, six figures; you're looking at you know five figures, and it's just a lot of money. But you know, is worlds easier than in some of these bigger cities.
1: And you closed North and Big King on July 3rd, right?
2: North I closed July 3rd, Big King I closed July 2nd.
1: And I think one of your fans on Instagram said it best, my last meal at North will be too salty because I won't be able to contain the tears streaming from my eyes while I eat. You know, <laughs> when you hear that, how does it feel to be walking away from these institutions after 10 years in the community? Oh, I
2: mean, it's, it's super, super kind of them, first of all. I mean, we, we tried to do good work, and we tried to do things right. We tried to do things our own way. We tried to compromise as little as we could. You know, we had successes and we had lots of failures, and tried to stay honest about those things. I think that honesty is the thing that resonated with people. My biggest thing was always like, I just don't want anyone to ever to leave feeling like they got ripped off. Well, like our first like motto at the restaurant that was printed on the the, the back of the first like restaurant T shirt we had was hopefully delicious, <laughs> um, because that was what we were going for. You, right. know, you know, you don't always succeed, but you do the best you can.
1: And the question on everyone's mind right now, why is it that you decided to hang up the apron for now?
2: It was complicated. It's been 10 years. My leases were up. It was like a question, like, am I going to sign a lease for another five years? And it's like, I frankly didn't want to do this for another five years. It's a lot of work. What people need to understand is that, like, restaurants like these, the failures that happen take their toll on you. But the successes that happen also have their own price. And- We paid that price. Every single person that worked there paid that price in different ways. I have been paying that price for 10 years, longer than anyone else that works there, uh, more intensely than anyone else that has worked there. There are people in this world, restaurateurs, that are able to let go more than I am, that are able to develop teams in ways that are better than I can probably. I'm not good at that kind of thing, frankly. I worked every single service at Big King. And it was really important for me to work every single service. I worked every single day for the last ten years. <laughs> I took two vacations um, in ten years yeah, that were more than a day or two days, really. And even on those vacations, I was still on my phone doing work, paying my sales tax, you know, <laughs> doing all these things that, like, you know, were jobs that like other people this weren't trained to do, and they weren't trained to do because I didn't, frankly, make enough money to like train someone to do that for me to replace me in that kind of way. The way we chose to run our restaurants, we tried to keep the financial barriers down so that as many people could access it as possible. We tried to make sure that we paid people as much as we could so that, you know, they could live real lives. And we tried to, you know, buy ingredients from people that we knew and pay them fair price for it so they could support their own staff. That's a recipe for not making a lot of money, frankly. And so after 10 years, it was, or it was like nine and a half years in, we had just had two years of COVID, uh, of intense COVID. You know, I didn't have any direct COVID deaths in my life, so I don't want to minimize like that sort of thing. But beyond you know the the physical toll that it took on people, from a financial perspective, I'm very grateful for the grants and loans that we got. But like we didn't close. We closed our doors. We did takeout for you know 18 months, mm-hmm. but that was just as much work if not more without any of the reward no financial reward you don't get to see the people eating it and enjoying themselves you don't get to talk to people and you make no money you know we paid our staff pre-covid levels the whole time i'm very proud of like what we were able to do but we made no money while we were closed you know luckily when we reopened it's been busy since then and it's, it's we're not closing cuz it's <laughs> slow we're closing by choice right I'm tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've been doing this for a long time. And this doesn't feel sustainable for me long term. Could I do it for another year or two? If COVID didn't happen, would I've been would I still be open? Very likely. But like these are like the repercussions of these things that will continue on and be felt through in the industry for another You know, who knows how long.
1: Right. And I know long hours, like you're saying, it's exhausting work. Constant stress as someone who owns a restaurant is operating it on all cylinders. You even said on Instagram when you announced that you were closing that you missed your daughter's birthday. Is this the way that the food industry is in general, especially coming out of the pandemic? Or is there a more sustainable way to run a restaurant?
2: I hope people are working on it because it doesn't really feel like it if I'm being honest. Um, I love the restaurant industry. Actually, I don't love the restaurant industry. I love the people that work in the restaurant industry. I deeply care about them. But I can't paint a picture of butterflies and rainbows because it's um, too many years of my own trauma and too many years of seeing people being broken by the industry and, frankly, a a general public that doesn't really care about them, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, if I'm being quite honest. You know, everyone likes to go out to eat. I like to go out to eat. But not everyone cares about what happens behind the scenes. And that's a bummer, yeah. frankly.
1: <laughs> Will you ever come back and what would it take?
2: I think like, no, I think I have a restaurant left in me. But I need to do it on terms that feel better, that allow me to do the work I want to do creatively and allow me to do it in a way that still allows for – more broad interests in my life to still exist, essentially. You know, maybe I'll wait till my daughter's a teenager and she hates me and doesn't want to see me anymore. And then (laughs) that's a great time, I feel like, to be able to do my own projects again. But until that happens, um, I'm going to be taking a significant amount of time away from it. I'm still going to be, like, in industry adjacent, um, doing some work uh, with a sake importer which is, like, we sold sake at Big King. It was, like, our big thing. So I'll be doing some work with them, and, you know, we'll see what happens in what direction that takes me. But, you know, um, as far as, like, a restaurant or something public-facing or, like, a bar or something like that, I don't think there's anything really in the cards in the next couple years at least.
1: Any parting message to all of your fans and dedicated diners?
2: I think that, like, it's a really exciting time to be in Providence. There's, like, cool stuff happening in Rhode Island in general, there's like a really awesome amount of like great young cooks like coming up right now and hopefully like taking the reins and like doing things their own way and cooking really beautiful food. The restaurant is just a collection of like used equipment at this point. It's like the people that is is what makes it special. It's not like the people in the restaurant died like they're they're still here (laughs) they're still cooking they're still doing stuff they might not be operating under the banner of north or big king anymore but that's okay like they're gonna be doing their own cool things so i'm super super excited to see where they push things moving forward
1: james thank you so much for joining us today
2: of course thanks for having me
1: Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. I have a story on two new murals in Providence's jewelry district, honoring workers from the Industrial Revolution. Barrington is the first Rhode Island town to schedule a vote on whether to allow marijuana retail sales within its borders. My colleague Ed Fitzpatrick has the details. This week, Rhode Island members of the neo-Nazi Nationalist Social Club were charged with obstructing police. My colleague Amanda Milkovitz has a story about what happened. What happened? For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Amy Padula. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Alexa Gagas. Ed is back next week.